You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. But let's look at the Word of God and what it has to say to us today from Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 14 through 18. We're going to cover four verses this week. Now, last year, if you remember, I only taught about 10 minutes, okay? This year, I'm going for 30 minutes, but I'm hoping I land right in the middle at 20. Because last year, everybody was complaining it was too short. And normally, everybody complains that it's too long. So I'm trying to go for right in the middle. But today's title is actually grumbling and complaining. So that's why uh, we're going to talk about that today. Philippians chapter 2, 14 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. It says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that your word would be just powerful and blessed in our hearts this morning as you, through your Holy Spirit, minister to us and speak to us. Thank you, Lord God, for, again, this opportunity to gather in your great sanctuary, this creation that you've provided for us. All the trees are standing this morning and saying glory to God, just as our hearts are standing this morning and saying glory to God. Lord, we love you. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul has just finished writing here in the letter to the Philippians about the amazing feat of the incarnation, if you remember with me, about how God became a man in order to serve all of humanity. Because of his love for the world, he died on a cross. Now, think about that with me. That took humility. That took obedience. But because Jesus was surrendered to the Father's will, he conquered sin and death through humility, through obedience. And now, because of that, he's been exalted, the Bible says, to the highest place. There's no other name given by which you and I can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of the world, and that's not all, Paul says. Jesus is also our supreme example. As Christians, we're called to let that same mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what we see Jesus do, the follower of Jesus is also to do. We're to be marked by a life of humility and obedience in submission to the Father's will as well. Then Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 2 of his letter that you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You see, being a believer is not going to be easy. It's not easy to be a Christian in this world. You're going to face some persecution for what you believe and the difference in your value system. You're going to have tension in this world, but you know what? It's okay. You need to work that out practically, being an authentic, real human being the way God intended for you and I to be. And as you do that, know this, Paul said, he said that God is going to be working in you at the same time, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So you're not on your own. In fact, the good work that God started in your life, 
God promises you he will finish that good work to the end. He's going to make sure that it is brought to completion. So as you work out your own salvation, know that God is working in you at the same time, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And today in our message, we're going to explore how we as believers are called to be lights in the world, in the midst of a dark and confused world. How many of you read or watch the news? Show of hands. Okay. How many of you don't read or watch the news on purpose? Okay, a bunch of you. Okay. I understand both positions. You see, I read and watch the news because I'm excited about Bible prophecy, and I see Bible prophecy happening in the news around us, so I'm excited to read. But I I get it that sometimes when I'm reading and watching the news, I'm also getting angry, and I'm going, oh, this makes me so, you know, oh, why does it have to be like this? What's going on in our world? And so I shut it off sometimes, you know, and I know what that's like too. But we know that we live in the midst of dark and confused times. All we have to talk about is gender identity, sexual revolution. Those are terms that we could just say, and everybody knows, yet we're living in times of confusion right now. But the the Bible is telling us through this passage, it's actually answering that question, how do we shine for Christ in a dark world? How, how is the church, how are you and I, the individuals that make up the church, to shine in the midst of a dark world? Well, we're to do that by holding fast to the word of life, Paul says, without complaining and disputing or arguing. Our purpose in the world is found in this text. Our purpose as a church, our purpose as individual believers is to shine for Christ by living Christ. Remember, that's what Paul said, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Well, basically, the, sum, the summary of the message this morning is that we shine Christ by living Christ. So I hope that you're challenged to ask yourself that question today. Am I shining Christ by living Christ here in Paris, Texas, or whichever community surrounding Paris that you live in? Let's unpack these verses that we've just read through and see how it is that we're to be showing Christ to the world. Look at verse 14 with me again. Paul says, do all things without complaining and disputing. And that Greek word for all literally means all. I know that's really deep and profound for some of you. You're still trying to grasp that. Let me say it again. The Greek word for all literally means all. (laughs) So do all things, Paul says, whether it's going to work in the morning or, or maybe we should back that up, whether it's getting up in the morning, right? Getting up and getting ready for work in the morning or school, be, be whatever it might be for you. We're to do all things. When we get to work and the boss gives us, you know, that dreaded task, take the trash out <laughs> or whatever it might be. Do all things without complaining and grumbling. The simple word is all-encompassing. A humble heart, Paul is saying, a humble heart leads into a life that we're to show to the world around us. Having the mind of Christ leads to a life of not complaining, not complaining. Have you ever been around a person who just loves to complain? Not very fun, is it? We've all experienced that. Perhaps we've even done that. I know I I can be, I have a tendency to complain sometimes when things don't go my way. Well, Aesop 
Aesop's Fables, he wrote one, a, a little story about a peacock. This peacock who is very unhappy with his ugly voice. And he spent most of his days going around complaining to his friends about how ugly his voice was. Well, it's true, the fox said. You can't sing. But look at how beautiful you are. The peacock answered, well, it's, how good is all this beauty, though, when it, it goes along with such an unpleasant voice? Oh, listen, said the fox. Each one has its own special gift. You have beauty. The nightingale has song. The owl has eyes. The eagle has strength. Even if you had a beautiful voice, peacock, you would still complain about something else. The, fable, the, the moral of Aesop's fable there is that when we're discontent, it doesn't matter what the thing is, we'll find something to complain about. We'll find a reason to complain when we are discontent. I also heard of an old Quaker who advertised that he wanted to give 40 acres of his rich farmland to anyone who had learned the secret of being perfectly satisfied with what they had. There was one seeker who came to that Quaker and said, hey, I'd like your 40 acres of rich farmland. And the Quaker asked him, well, are thee perfectly satisfied with what thee hast? And then the hopeful guest answered, well, yes, of course I am. And the Quaker said, well, then why dost thou want my land? If you wanted his land, you're obviously not content. Both stories there share that common denominator, don't they, of being discontent. Discontentment is really the root of complaining. And discontentment means that you're dissatisfied about something in your life. And ultimately, what Paul is saying is that that root of that goes back to your relationship with God, the Father, who has promised to take care of you. Remember what he said? Hey, don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about shelter. I'll take care of all your needs. You just seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all the other stuff will be added to you. So when we have discontentment, when we're complaining, it's because of that root of discontentment, which is a dissatisfaction with something there in, in, in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Paul has in mind in this verse the Exodus experience. He's thinking about when the Israelites left Egypt. God called them out of Egypt to come to him. God then gave them the law and the prophets to teach them how to be authentic human beings and live the lives that God created them to live. It's all based on God's love, and God wanted them to learn a new way to be human. And as they did that, they would find that they were created for a relationship with God. You see, Israel was meant to be God's light of truth and warmth of love to the nations. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. Why not? Well, the Bible tells us it was because the Israelites were constantly murmuring against God. In fact, it's estimated that around one million Israelites died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Their discontentment with God led to complaining, which led to hardened hearts, which led to unbelief. Not only did they murmur and complain, they were also disputing and arguing against Moses, their leader. The life that is marked by the mind of Christ is a life that leads to not complaining, not disputing. Have you ever been around somebody that loves to argue? They just love to bicker constantly. 
sometimes they don't even know what they're fighting about. They're just taking the opposite side, right? Because they like to. I've got a son that likes to take, he likes to root for the opposite team that I'm going for. So on college football Saturdays, which are big at my house, I sit down to watch the game and Yesterday, it was Notre Dame, my team, and it doesn't matter who Notre Dame's playing. My son's always going for the other team. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I ask him, why? Why are you going for the other team? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I think I know why. But it makes the game fun, doesn't it? But there are people out there, though, that, that, that just love to argue. They just love to dispute authority. That's not what my son does, by the way. I'm not saying that, but... He's over there listening to me going, oh, dad. But we're talking about a kind of person that loves to question authority. Someone that loves to dispute with leaders. That's what the Old Testament was talking about when the Israelites were disputing with Moses. And guess what, guys? It led them into a rebellion. Nothing says discontent like complaining does. And nothing says pride like arguing all the time does, and standing up against those that God has placed in authority. Hey, we need to be careful. This message is for young kids and for adult kids and for older kids too. This goes for all of us. Paul says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. So listen, folks, we need to check our hearts this morning. What are we focused on in life Are we focused on Jesus? The book of Philippians teaches us that if we put Jesus first and others second and ourselves last, we will find fulfillment and satisfaction in life. But if we mix that order up and we put ourselves first and we focus on us first, hey, sooner or later, we're going to begin to complain. We're going to begin to dispute because things aren't being done our way. Let's be careful that we are not you know, doing what Paul says exactly not to do, being grumblers, being fighters and arguers. See, if we can learn to be content and humble, we will shine. It's a natural outcome of leading a life without complaining and disputing. You know, the world is so used to seeing people that are going to complain about their circumstances and dispute authority in their lives that when somebody comes along and does something different, it's amazing. (laughs) It's like a star, Paul says, shining in the night sky. Having the mind of Christ naturally results in a life that not only is showing Christ to others, but is also sharing Christ with others. Look at verse 15 with me. Paul says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Listen, are we living in a crooked and perverse generation today? I would say yes, we are. We're living in the midst of a generation that is crooked and perverse. People are confused today. Leaders are afraid to stand up for what they know is true and right. That is trickling down into other people and everybody's buying into this idea that, oh, we've got to go along with what they're saying. We're living in a crooked and perverse generation today because people are suppressing the truth about God, their creator. And guess what? 
We're not alone in that. You see, the Philippian church was living in a time just like that as well. How was it that the Philippian church was not swept away by the rising tide of darkness? How was it that they were able to be faithful to God in the midst of their generation? I'll tell you how. It's by holding fast to the word of life. Paul tells us to hold fast, to cling to the word of life. And he says that we're to be blameless and harmless there in verse 15. That word blameless means free of guilt. If someone makes an accusation, it doesn't stick. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means that when people try to tarnish your reputation, it just doesn't fit with who you are or who, how you live. It reminds me of a game that my sons play at their birthday parties. They split up into teams, and then they choose one person on that team to get shaving cream applied all over their face. And they just put shaving cream liberally all over that boy's face. Moms, this is what happens at parties when you send them to my house, okay? They get shaving cream all over it, and then the rest of the team stands back about five feet away from them with cheese balls in their hands. And they start to throw cheese balls as hard as they can and get them to stick on that guy's face, on that kid's face. And everyone that sticks is a point, right? Well, this word blameless reminds me of that game because Paul is saying, look, when when the world hurls an accusation at a Christian, it shouldn't stick because your life is marked by a life that's living for the Lord. Yeah, you might do something wrong from time to time, but what you do is you go and make it right after that. You go and you, you, you set things right after you may have made a mistake, and we all do. But the world looks at you and they go, yeah, we want to accuse that person of, of wrongdoing, but we really can't because they always go and make things right and they live with humility. That's the lifestyle that, that Paul is talking about, a blameless life. When we're blameless, the accusations against reputations don't stick because we're living for the Lord. Secondly, he says to be harmless. That means to be pure or unmixed. It also means innocent or simple. You see, God's children are supposed to be innocent when it comes to evil things. Hey, we don't really get into that. We don't explore it. We don't have a curious mind to go find out about evil. We're innocent towards it. We're simple towards evil things. So are we getting the picture here, guys? God's people have been called out of the world into a relationship with Jesus in which we're called to think like him. We cannot win people to Jesus if we are not any different from the world around us. You see, it's through following truth, living out truth, without complaining and disputing that we look different. Paul gives us a key to doing this. In verse 16, that first phrase in verse 16 is holding on to the word of life. That doesn't mean that you carry your Bible in your hands everywhere you go. It doesn't mean you walk in and slam it down on the, you know, at at the work table or whatever it is. Holding on to the word of God is carrying the Bible in your mind and in your heart. It means that you make the Bible your way of life. You realize that this book contains God's precious instructions that he gave you so that you could be an authentic human being. It it, it means that you understand this is the best way to live is by the words of this book. That's what holding on to the words of life is. Listen, let's put it this way. If your doctor came to you and told you that you had, he had some bad news for you, that you were sick with an incurable disease and you were going to die that would devastate you, wouldn't it? 
It would be devastating to learn that you have an incurable disease that is going to take your life. Wouldn't you want to try to find out if there was a cure for that disease? Wouldn't you want to do some research and see if there's any cure being offered? Well, let's say that the doctor found one and he says, I've got the cure, but there's a catch. You would say, well, what is it? I want to know. I'd like to know how to continue to live. I want to be there for my family, for my friends. What if that doctor told you that the cure was so simple that all you had to do was to drink a glass of water, one glass of water every single day for the rest of your life? You think you would do it? I would. If that was the cure to stay alive, to, to cure me from an incurable disease, drink one glass of water every day for the rest of my life, I would do it. Guys, that's the idea here. Our lives depend on the word of life straight from God to you and me. If we want to have any kind of a spiritual life in us, if we're ever going to fulfill our mission, if we're going to grow into disciples of Jesus, we need to cling to God's word of life to you and me. It's like drinking a glass of water every single day. But the problem is, is that many Christians today, we're, we're too complacent to even do that. We're too apathetic to even give God five minutes in the morning, 10 minutes of our day to say, Lord, I'm going to sit down in your word and I'm going to cling to the word of life. I'm going to allow this book to shape my worldview, to help me to interpret the things that are going crazy in this confusing and perverse generation, to help me to see clearly what you say is right and what is wrong and what leads to life and what leads to death. Many people have the word of life today, but many are not holding on to it for dear life, nor are they holding it forth to others. Because if you're not holding on to it for dear life, how can you hold it forth to others? Paul's heart in giving us this, these verses today is to challenge us to live a life that not only shines Jesus, but also shares Jesus. Paul wraps up this section by returning to his earlier thought about the fact that he might die soon in verse 16, 17, and 18. He knows that the greatest need that the Philippians have in light of the fact that he might die is that they too need to know where they will go when they die. Paul says, look, I'm going to labor to the end. And by you guys laboring with me and living for Jesus with me, that's proof that I haven't lived in vain. You see, guys, for the person who lives in such a way to shine Christ to the world, when we stand before the Lord at the end of our life, we're going to recognize something. We're not going to have any regrets. It's not going to be in vain. It's all going to be for something. But Paul knows the greatest need that any person can have is tied into their spiritual condition. Let me ask you guys this today. What's the greatest need that you think that you can have? Somebody might say, well, food. Try eating or try going without eating for one day, two day, three days. In my case, you'll see how great the need for food is. I'll be ready to tear somebody's head off, right? Someone else might say, well, what about water? You can go 40 days without food, but you can only go three days without water. Water's the greater need. Well, you're right. We do need water. But try holding your breath for a day. 
Try holding your breath for an hour. Try holding your breath for five minutes, and you'll soon realize air is even more important than water, right? But the Bible tells us there's something even more important than food, water, and air. The Bible tells us that your spiritual condition is the most important thing in life. Jesus said it this way in Luke 12, verses 4 and 5. I'll read it to you. He said, I say to you, my friends... Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. You see, Jesus Christ knows that people need a savior more than anything else, more than food, more than water, more than air. It was C.S. Lewis who said it this way. He said, if heaven and hell are true, then nothing else matters. And if heaven and hell are not true, then nothing matters at all. If heaven and hell are true, then nothing else matters. But if heaven and hell are not true, then nothing matters at all. We might as well just go and eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. My friends, God has told us that heaven and hell are real. And if you are already saved by Jesus Christ, then you are to be living on a mission without complaining and disputing, shining Jesus to the world around you. I've got a question for you this morning. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer and you are part of our church, how can we as a church do that better? How can we shine Jesus better? How can we share him better with our community? Guess what, guys? The church is made up of individuals. It's you and me. We are the church. How you live for Jesus Christ in your workplace or your school is what matters the most to God. As you shine like a star in the night sky, as you hold fast to the word of God and hold it forth so that others could know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You see, we don't just go to church. Going to church can be just a religious activity. Following Christ is a lifestyle. And that's what Jesus wants. Now, if you are not saved and you're hearing this message today, I want to have a different question for you. If you were to die today, think about this. If you were to die today, are you sure that you would go to be with the Lord in heaven? If you're not, my friend, you need to grab a hold of the word of life today. Jesus is here. Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, the only name by which you can be saved is here, and he's willingly offering salvation to all who hear his message. And that message is a gift that you can grab a hold of, that word of life that you say, yes, I need that, Lord. I need that. That's for me. And if you'll do that today, Jesus Christ will not be unfaithful to give you the gift of life. You can do that by placing your faith in him today, by believing and trusting in him today. That's his promise to you if you have not yet done that. Well, guys, let's wrap this up with a word of prayer this morning. If you wouldn't mind, let's bow our heads. Let's pray and just ask Jesus to... uh, Uh, come into our hearts if you have not received him yet. And if you have, then let's ask him to show us how to shine and share him 
with the world around us.